Just ahead on Black Issues Forum, COVID cases are again on the rise and the CDC is revising their advice. We'll talk about redistricting and calls to change business as usual and how Simone Biles' move has us talking about mental health in sports culture. Stay with us. Welcome to Black Issues Forum. I'm Deborah Holt Noel. Turns in the number of new COVID cases and data on the Delta variant bring new CDC guidance on both federal and state levels. After stating last week that coronavirus was a pandemic of the unvaccinated, on Tuesday, the CDC's director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, appeared across news networks with a message for the COVID vaccinated community. Here's what she shared on CBS This Morning with Gail King. And most of what we're sequencing now is Delta variant, and Delta is just a different uh, kind of beast, as we say. You know, it is much more contagious. We knew that already. The thing that's important and that is new data that we've seen just in the last several days, but corroborated several times, is that if you are vaccinated and you are one of those rare breakthrough infections, you actually have the capacity to pass it to somebody else. 80% of our counties with the highest amount of disease have our, the lowest amount of vaccination in this country, less than 40% of the people vaccinated. So there is no doubt that the reason that we have so much disease right now is because it has gone after those who are unprotected, unvaccinated. And the vast majority of transmission that is happening in this country is happening among unvaccinated people. As a result, CDC guidance for the vaccinated population now today is get tested if exposed, regardless of your symptoms, wear a mask in public indoor spaces after exposure and if tested positive, isolate at home for 10 days and know that you can transmit the virus. In response to this guidance, North Carolina Senator Pro Tem Phil Berger Wednesday sent an email suggesting that this, this was information to ignore or, according to a correction issued by Senate caucus political leader Dylan Watts, that it was information that would be ignored. Of course, for the unvaccinated, the advice is to find a vaccine or certainly continue to mask and follow COVID protocols for your own safety and that of the communities. I want to introduce today's roundtable attorney Jessica Holmes. Attorney and Forsyth County Republican Party Chair Harold Eustish and Lamisha Whittington of Advance Carolina. So pleased to have all three of you. And I want to open up with uh, you, Jessica. We know that President Biden just announced a mandate for federal workers to get the vaccine or submit to regular testing. Is this a civil rights infringement? Um, absolutely not. Um, for starters, to be clear, it is not an absolute mandate. Um, for those who are unvaccinated, you must if you choose to continue to not be vaccinated, then you must submit to weekly or possibly twice weekly testing, continue to wear a mask in the workplace, and continue to socially distance in order to protect your colleagues. So it's not an absolute mandate. And we also have to continue to be mindful of religious as well as medical exemptions. So it's not an absolute requirement for all federal employees to be vaccinated. It's just that if you choose not to, then there are additional steps that you are required to take in order to protect your work place, your colleagues, your family, and their families. So thank you, Jessica. And even though there's not this strong mandate, more and more private industries, Herald, are uh, coming and issuing a, a, a mandate 
for their employees to either get a vaccination or, you know, face the consequences. What do you think the administration and all of us are going to be facing as people don't agree with this? Well, we're, we're facing a crisis as far as people that, um, that don't, you know, want this vaccine are going to, you know, have to be out of work. And some of those people are going to be uh, healthcare employees. I mean, you know, right now, uh, healthcare employees uh, are just about as vaccinated as the rest of the population. So we can't afford to lose 40% of our nurses and healthcare professionals um, because they chose not to, you know, get a vaccine when mandated by their employers. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. So we're going to, it's going to come to some kind of head. Um, I, you know, I understand, I, I do agree that uh, in a legal sense, I think that it is not a mandate. I do understand that. I think it, it is a condition of employment. I think the courts have, have been clear about that, but I do think that um, it, it's, it, it's not going to be a tenable situation if we continue down this road. Lamisha, what are the options in your opinion? Um, we've got to create a safer community. Are leaders doing their part? Do they need to be doing more? So when thinking about the landscape of the pandemic right now, so in North Carolina, just this week, it was reported over a thousand COVID-19 related hospitalizations for the first time since May um, 8th. And so for us in the Southeast United States, in comparison to 10 other states, North Carolina has the third highest population and subsequently the third highest number of total COVID-19 cases. So that's the landscape. But when we're talking about how our state is responding, the messaging is still confusing. The Council of State in June that fell along like party lines, it was majority Republicans that voted to end the, the moratorium for the state, right? That would increase the evictions of renters. That was a month before the CDC moratorium is set to end tomorrow. So that means many folks will play, well, guess what? Face houselessness. So how are we, you know, creating barriers as a state, but telling folks to stay at home. How are we having teachers and staff last year, uh, president of the NCAE, uh, President Tamika Walker-Kelly appreciated her leadership and elevating that many staff that came into the schools, administrators that came into schools last year, the state didn't provide masks, nor did the federal government, even though they were feeding the public. So what lessons have we learned? It doesn't seem like we've learned much. Uh, last year, we saw what happened being ill prepared this year with a 13 billion plus dollar surplus with a state budget that is still set to be hasn't been voted on what are we doing to actually create provisions and resources for landlords tenants alike for folks who are facing houselessness to make sure that we're being responsive and consistent in messaging and that's just simply not happening well you know there are so many like you said mixed messages You've got the CDC, you've got different organizations, even unions coming in now saying, well, you didn't negotiate with us about making a mandate uh, for federal workers. So, you know, what is the end game when it comes to public safety mandates, understanding that this vaccine or rather this virus has been so very politicized and everyone's walking a real careful line, particularly President Biden and, and his administration. What is the end game? What could be the strategy? Jessica, what are your thoughts? Um, the end game to me is very simple and it's to follow the science. Yes, the messaging has been confusing, but I heard the statement that as of right now, we're fighting a different war. Earlier this year, we had more of the alpha variant of COVID-19. Now we're dealing more with the Delta variant. That is the dominant strain in North Carolina right now and dominant strain in this country. It is as transmittable as the common cold, if not more so. So we're in a different war 
And we have to be cognizant of the fact that we, our scientists are learning new information every day, every week, it seems. And yes, it's confusing, but it boils down to this. And I'm speaking directly to the people listening, to the viewers, protect yourself. And not only that, be your brother and your sister's keeper. When it comes to the unions, yes, I do think there should have been more input um, between the federal government and between unions. That said, when you look at unions, you have the American Federation of Teachers, who are in support of universal masks for all of our public school employees and students. Same thing with the National Education Association, the North Carolina affiliate of which is the North Carolina Association of Educators. So on one hand, our unions absolutely have an issue with not being you know, talked to or this not being run by them. But at the same time, they've been very clear that they support vaccinations and want our students and our staff across all of our spectrums to be safe. Harold, when we consider the political game here, are both parties here playing it smart when it comes to the safety and security and strength of our economy and, and the American future? Well, it, it feels like um, one side is um, trending toward more government control. I mean, and I think that, you know, I think that the Republican Party is looking at this and saying, well, you know, how do we make sure that we're not, you know, going back to a lockdown again? I mean, ultimately, we were told as a society, hey, go out and get your vaccine. That'll fix it. You know, and we're, we're still being told that, well, the vaccine is is still uh, protects you against the Delta variant, but you know we may still need to have mandates. We may still even trend toward a lockdown. I think that's the confusion for people. I think that's the frustration. For, so, from a political sense, I think um, you know I, I understand that I'm not saying that both parties don't want to keep us safe, and I, I agree with that. But I do think that we've got to the, the safety is not just about the Delta variant. It's also about people losing their jobs. It's also about people being stuck in their homes for months and months on end. We just can't do that. Again. It's a and tight so I place think to be. That the Republican Party is, is there with that. It's a tight place to be, Lamisha. We've got just about a minute left in this segment, but, you know, when it... It is a fine line to walk, um, and we do want to protect jobs. We want to protect the community, but what kind of leadership is needed right now when it comes to public safety and taking the necessary steps? Right. So we have to recognize that, you know, state lawmakers across the United States have introduced more than 100 bills aiming to prohibit employers from requiring vaccination as a condition of employment. So when we're talking about leadership as, you know, Attorney Holmes, as, as, as Attorney um, Harold has already mentioned, there's a divide, there's a clear split. But when it comes to the health and safety of our communities, it shouldn't be a partisan divide. It is a survival and how do we keep our people alive? So when we're talking about uh, OSHA protections that wasn't actually created last year, right, for franchise or corporations to require social distancing, for them to require to give masks to their folks, we not only have to keep them employed, we have to keep them healthy and alive to come back the next day to be employed. And the level of job loss due to pandemic, the level of health insurance loss, over half a million plus folks lost health insurance due to COVID-19 and actual jobs disappeared, not just folks leaving work, actual job deficit. Those are the kind of policies that have to be put in place alongside this emergency vaccination. We have to also have emergency relief for the American people to survive this pandemic because we've been in pandemic. This is just exacerbating the state of the black community. Excellent point. 
On the political front, groups are paying attention as the next election cycle approaches and the results of the 2020 census introduced a significant change. North Carolina gained a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives, and that will have a major impact on redistricting. Due to delays caused by COVID, however, some municipal elections have also been delayed. So a number of impacts. Jessica, you also serve as a redistricting consultant. What can you share about what voters need to know or be paying attention to right now as district lines are redrawn and these election dates get shifted? Um, if I had to summarize my comments into one word, it would be transparency. Voters need to look out for transparency. As these maps are drawn, there should be a very public process. We also have to keep in mind that North Carolina is one of the most litigious states in the entire country when it comes to redistricting and litigation regarding voting rights. We have to be very mindful of partisan gerrymandering as well as racial gerrymandering. North Carolina has a history of disenfranchising black voters. We all know the statement about um, a court deciding that our General Assembly had targeted African Americans with surgical precision. So voters need to be diligent and we need to watch and make sure that the maps are compliant, that they are following the law that they are not engaging in voter suppression tactics like partisan or racial gerrymandering, as well as packing in any attempts to dilute the black vote or the vote of minorities all across our state. And this General Assembly has a history with doing just that. Can you just share briefly what, what you mean by packing? Packing is when you concentrate a number of voters, typically black voters or voters of a certain party into one area so as to dilute their vote in other areas. Thank so you. you pack them as a strategic method to dilute their vote and concentrate their vote. One example of that is typically, um, in the past was done in um, Congressional Districts 1 and Congressional Districts 12, um, represented by Congressman G.K. Butterfield and Congresswoman Alma Adams, where they packed and concentrated black and or Democratic voters into two districts in order to maximize their opportunities, to maximize Republican opportunities in other districts. Thank you. Uh, Harold, you know, we know that gerrymandering, as Jessica said, has been used uh, to draw these lines, uh, you know, with political, partisan bias, uh, racial bias at times as, as uh, uh, courts have determined. Is it time to uh, do away with or adjust that particular uh, piece of policy? Um, what can you share about the, the practice to eliminate this work? Well, I will say, um, as vice chair of the Forsyth County Republican Party, and I'm also part of the NCGOP's election integrity uh, special committee, and I, I, I do I do take a few issues here. One, I think that the the uh, General Assembly certainly uh, has done a, a, as good a job as it can to try to um, to to draw these districts. Remember, from from prior to 2010, um, Democrats controlled the North Carolina House and Senate for nearly a century, and they gerrymandered those districts every single decade. Um, and the, the first district, congressional district and the 12th congressional district um, that was referred to earlier, that, that 12th congressional district, which has been the most litigated district really in American history, that was drawn by Democrats in order to get Mel Watt a seat um, uh, in the 90s. And then and now Alma Adams has a seat. But that's not a, that wasn't done by Republicans at all. Uh, I think the, the, the thing is that the way that I think 
this General Assembly feels is that, you know, they won supermajorities on Democrat uh, drawn seats in 2010. They have attempted to redraw these lines the best that they can. And of course, anytime that a Republican redraws the lines, it becomes a racial issue. And, and somebody says that, you know, it's being done to target minority voters. I think it's being, it's being done the right way. I mean, you know, for, I think the issue, you think about it this way, from 19, from the last 1970s until now, uh, the last 10 presidential elections, a Democrat has only won one time in North Carolina. That was in 2008. But yet they controlled both houses for, for 100 years. How does that happen? That's, that happens by gerrymandering, and Democrats would do it if they were in power. Um, so I, think, I see no reason to get rid of it. No. So we can look forward to another 100 years, perhaps, of Republican control because of the gerrymandering and partisan gerrymandering is okay. I mean, it's, it, maybe it's, is it time to re-examine this, uh, is, the, is the question on the floor. But, Lamicia, I, I, I'd like to ask you the same question. Um, you know, is it time, time to take a look? I mean, we've seen that behavior of the Democrats when they were in power. Now we see the behavior of the Republicans as they're in power. You know, maybe we just continue business as usual. Right. <clears throat> so the purpose of redistricting, let's really talk about that. It is constitutional. So first, when we hear the terms redistricting, that is legal. It's what's supposed to happen after the census, right? The census gives us the population numbers, the redistricting. We take those, our elected officials take those numbers and then create apportionment. You see that, but our voting districts, and then that's how we vote. That's how we know where to vote and who to vote for. They're all three connected. But historically, our communities have had to fight for the right to vote and for the fight for representation. And that's the part that we can't lose. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 was won because of youth organizing from SNCC, from elders in NAACP and other faith leaders and communities across the nation that led to that win. But the Voting Rights Act was then amplified by another win of the Supreme Court that was one person, one vote. That was amplified from the pro protest of SNCC protesters. So redistricting us fighting for fairness has been historic, right? And then when the Voting Rights Act, which allowed for our vote to be fair, it was attacked in 2013. We have to re-inspect why was it gutted. It was to dilute our vote and predetermine who to vote for. And so, yes, completely correct. Democrats did it before Republicans. Republicans are now taking the lead. It's, let's be fair, both parties are at fault. When we are talking about a deficit of gerrymandering, we have in this state uh, 10 plus HBCUs, historically by colleges and universities. In 2016, Jessica mentioned these districts, Congresswoman Alma Adams, over half of our state's HBCUs was packed into one single district diluting those students' votes and the communities where over half of our HBCUs could only have one congressional district, that determines the landscape and the power of the state. No wonder we can't win. You cannot win when your vote is rigged and you cannot leave people out and tell us to vote and be disingenuous, but not tell us that our maps are unfair and not include us on the process of those maps and public comments. Uh, Ms. Holt, allow me to affirm what my colleagues have said in acknowledging the fact that Democrats have absolutely engaged in gerrymandering. Republicans have absolutely engaged in gerrymandering. But I don't care if you're a Democrat or if you're a Republican. If you engage in partisan and or racial gerrymandering, you, you are wrong. There, there is no exception for either party. No party should engage in gerrymandering. Every party should want 
the true concept and spirit of one person, one vote. When Democrats are in power, we talk about the fact that we want an independent redistricting commission, but then don't do anything about it. Well, when Republicans certain, are in party, the exact same thing. And what should be said is that it is the people who need to hold our electives uh, accountable. This week in Tokyo, a move by gymnastic standout Simone Biles rocked the sports world when she withdrew from the team finals, citing a need to focus on her mental health. This after the athlete's rare struggle in performing at her peak during the individual all-around competition. Now, some have applauded her bravery to protect her mental health, but I've heard different things depending on what channel I'm listening to. I heard certain things on ESPN, and then I heard different things on our network television. Um, let me just open up with you, Harold. What are your thoughts about, you know, mental health being uh, a greater part of this discussion and its impact on sport, sports culture? I think um, good for Simone Biles. I mean, I think it's, it's great that she was able to, um, to have the bravery to do what she did. I think, you know, she's been a great representation of, of, of toughness and courage as an American athlete. I think she's proven herself at the highest level, and uh, she ought to be given every benefit of the doubt. I mean, I, I think that what people are missing here, too, is that she's been public about her uh, her, her being a victim of sexual assault, um, and we don't know whether or not um, anything that's happening at the Olympics triggered that. So I think um, that that if, if anybody gets the benefit of the doubt, it's certainly one of our, our best athletes of all time. She's proven herself. Um, so I'm happy to see that she has, that she's bringing this attention to mental health. I think it's important for, for all our athletes because they are people and um, I'm happy to see Sonny Lee win as well. So, um, I, I think it won't, I, I think it's a great thing um, to hear. Wow. And you know, what I was hearing, Lamicia, is, you know, I don't know what to make of this. I don't know what to make of her. I know that, you know, these are the elite athletes. And the expectation is that you're powering through layers and layers of pressure on a regular. So what do we make of this? Not only Simone Biles, but, you know, uh, Naomi Osaka. We've got uh, players from the NBA. What do we make of it? Right. So I definitely want to um, just plus one, Harold just really said in this moment that we support Simone Biles. And let's also talk about she has a combined total of six Olympic medals and 25 world championship medals. So she didn't need to compete. But the reality is she achieved that is what's already been stated while enduring undue stress at the hands of sexual assault. And she testified. Right. And she's created safe spaces for other young gymnasts of color and women gymnasts to actually practice safely. And at the same time, in 2016, her medical records was put on public and it was unveiled that she takes medication for ADHD. And they were attempting to discredit her and say that she was using medication to to, of course, amplify her performance where we heard that before. So we see the barrage of attacks that Simone has endured for years. And so her decision point, her power and stepping into that power to say, you're not going to extract from me more than I'm willing to give to injure my body. And when we see athletes, as you mentioned, um, this has been historic that our elite athletes have always done a protest for themselves, which is for our people. 
We saw that with Jesse Owens, the protest many years ago. And what did he come to home to after four gold medals? The president of the United States still not meeting with him. Discrimination, but he still held in his own. And guess what represented, but was mistreated in his home nation because it's extraction of our talents. We saw LeBron James and the NFL team, you know, uh, move out of the locker, not play because of the protest in BLM. We've seen with Colin Kaepernick, Marshawn Lynch, Serena Williams, who elevated maternal malpractice and medical health. Guess what? It is the burden of our people to be oppressed. It shouldn't be the burden of our people to put our trauma on bear and display. And so when we do, we have to stand behind them and beside them because they are us. And because as Black community, our personal and social liberties include our right to protest, our right to a fair vote, and our right to adequate mental health in the wake of the traumas that this nation lays at our feet and on our backs and at our faces. And that is what Simone Biles represents in addition to Shakari, in addition to Naomi. It is a legacy that they are carrying proudly of their ancestors ancestors and the elders, they're not doing anything new. They're just taking it on to the next, and that's the gold medal. You always you always bring it home and lay it out there, and you, you brought something up. I want to get your thoughts on this, Jessica. The Olympic uh, Committee and the rules that, that are there are not for um, today's uh, understanding and appreciation of humanity. Um, they're being targeted, I, I, not targeted, but the attention is being drawn to some of these Olympic uh, rules with regard to what you're wearing, um, but also to protest, because I think the, the Olympic uh, Committee has some sort of ruling about what you're allowed to do in protest. One young lady, a gymnast, had her fist up at the end, and, sh and she had to defend that. Um, we also have to be mindful that even our elite athletes are human. Um, first, let me go back and say that I'm in the amen corner as to everything that was said before me as to this issue. Amen, um, too. These are still human beings. We are putting these athletes under tremendous pressure. And so I want to confirm and affirm that I absolutely support Simone Biles. I absolutely support Naomi Osaka, who withdrew from the French Open due to her mental health concerns, and any other athletes. Also, I want to point out, as you referenced, um, the fact that, you know, women in sports like volleyball and in gymnastics are required to barely wear any, much of anything. And some teams are choosing to stand up against that. Some of them are being fined. Um, some of them are being... Um, are, uh, being uh, punished for doing that, but I hope that they continue this trend of being the humans that they are. Absolutely. Um, and if anybody, again, deserves any grace is Simone Biles. She is the GOAT. She is the greatest for all time. So if anyone deserves any grace, it's her. No contest here. It is definitely a different day for sports culture in America and hopefully worldwide. Thanks to all of you. I want to thank today's guests for joining us, and we invite you to engage with us on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find our full episodes on pbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any time on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. Thanks for watching. Quality public television is made possible through the financial contributions of viewers like you, who invite you to join them in supporting PBSNC.